Hey, you're listening to Drawing the Line. I'm Rowan McCutcheon. And I'm Brad Reeves. And today we're going to talk about Jesus and his use of Scripture. Yeah, really get into how Jesus brings the law over to the New Testament. All right, let's get started. Episode 11, Season 2, here in my office, like we always are. Not going anywhere. But we got the door open. We do. Shoot. We do have the door open. <laughs> I just noticed that. <laughs> if, you know, so we may have a guest today. Yeah, you're right. We'll see how it goes. The postman, FedEx. Yeah. Do you think people are going to get upset? Random stranger. Do you think people get upset that I said shoot? <laughs> uh, whatever. If you get upset that I said shoot. This is probably not the right podcast for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You're playing cards on trains and uh, uh, yeah. saying, oh, shoot. What did we say? Schnikes. Oh, I do have Air Monarchs on right now. <laughs> Rick Leach, I don't know if you listen to this or not, but I'm going to dedicate this episode to you. I, you probably don't listen at all, but that's fine. Um, so what are we talking about today? We Roman? are going to talk about Jesus. Yeah, that's okay. safe. <laughs> uh, Jesus and I don't maybe the way that he uses scripture. Um, I mean, you can look at it as I don't know Jesus and the law. I mean, you can name it whatever you want to name it. We're, I think we're going to talk a little bit, or we're going to talk mostly about how Jesus used scripture. Yeah, we've we've had uh, I think last season we talked about interpretation and interpreting scripture, how we read scripture, how we understand scripture. And I think in light of some of the topics we've hit over the past several weeks, especially talking about sin, um, we're having to do more of this interpretive work. And so I think we got to a place at the end of the last, near the end of the last podcast where we were like, you know, maybe it will be helpful to see how Jesus treats some of these laws, yeah. some of the scripture. How does he deal with it um, as reflected in scripture? So sort of how to... Are there any examples here, or do we get any hints from Jesus as to how maybe we can handle uh, some of these mm -hmm. scriptures? And I will tell you, for me personally, Roman, I'm very excited about today's episode because these are a couple of the different um, examples I wanted to bring up today are, are a few uh, moments in scripture that really changed the way I understood really the whole Bible <laughs> really yeah. changed the way I, I understood um, maybe how Jesus seems to be doing something a little different, maybe a little different than even uh, we do with Scripture. When I say we, I, I don't know. Maybe sometimes the church does with Scripture. It seems like Jesus may be handling Scripture in a little bit different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think that, I don't know, and I'm not trying to immediately dive into something specific, but you know, I think that when I consider Jesus using scripture, the first thing that comes to my mind is a sermon on the Mount. Um, mainly because he says, you have heard it was said, I don't know how many times, like a yes. bunch. Right. Yes. Um, and, and so I think it's important that we go ahead and acknowledge that Jesus used old Testament scripture a lot when he was talking, whether he was agreeing with it, whether he was 
disagreeing with it or changing it or whatever he was doing, he referenced it a lot. And I think that's because people knew it and people or the people that he was talking to needed to hear it. And that's the language or that is how that's the lens in which they viewed each other and the lens in which they viewed um, how one should be and how one should act. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Jesus was a good Jew. He was an observant Jew. And so he was familiar with the scripture. And when yeah. he certainly he's dealing with other Jews, he's referencing the scripture. Um, and he makes reference to to Jonah, to David, to Moses, mm-hmm. um, to Abraham, um, to all to a lot of these characters. One thing I do think that's important to note about Jesus, and I, I don't know if I've brought this up in in on this podcast before. I know I've certainly in, in different classes before focused in on this because again, this is something that's sort of relevatory. Um, uh, if you if you haven't focused on this before, and that's just how Jesus teaches, how he interacts mm-hmm. uh, with his disciples. So with his followers, but then with the general public, um, if you look at the New Testament, Jesus asked something like 307 questions in the New Testament, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, across the various Gospels. And he is asked something like 183 questions, and I think he answers something like three of those directly. Right. So I guess my point in throwing out those random statistics is just that Jesus's style is not the same type of style that you might expect from a math professor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like if you're trying to learn calculus or, or let's say um, actually uh, my, my son, uh, my oldest son is just last day of school tomorrow, but he's been in geometry for this whole year. And there's been a few times during the year where he's come to me with help in geometry. And so he's got different questions. And of course, what do I have to do? I have to rewind my brain to 25, 30 years ago when I was in geometry and I have to remember, okay, what are all the rules that I need to remember in order to be able to help him work these problems. And so most of the time we're going to YouTube, going to Khan Academy, we're pulling up all kinds of stuff, right? Right. Because I don't remember this stuff. Yeah. But my point is just that in order to get to the right answers, Mm -hmm. you have to know the rules. And this rule builds on this rule, builds on this rule. And it's like, if you don't know all of those rules, you cannot get to the answer or or they'll give you a problem and it'll have, it'll give you certain pieces of information. And without knowing those rules, you, you can't answer it. Okay. Jesus does not teach in this way. It appears to me that he doesn't teach in this way. Instead, Jesus, instead of coming along and saying, okay, here's, here's all the rules that you've been taught. I'm just going to remind you of those rules. Oh, and here's a few new rules. Now you have the answers to all your questions. Yeah. Instead, he seems to be doing this sort of relational interactive thing where he's almost as interested in the interaction he's having with somebody or a group of people that is generated by the question than he is with actually transmitting like solid information that is nailed downable, like that, not really a word, but something that could be concretized into, okay, here is the answer to this question. If it, I mean, to, to me, that's what it says when somebody asks, 
hundreds and hundreds of questions in right. their teaching style. Yeah, and you know, I I'm not trying to say that I'm like Jesus, um, but that is how I teach a lot of, which is a weird. I don't. It's weird to be like teaching is asking questions, I guess. But that's the style in which I kind of conduct a lot of my youth classes. Um, I mean, I guess you could use the word guided discussion or whatever you want to call it, but um, the format basically goes, I essentially ask them a, a main themed question and, you know, we, we may dive into one or two um, sections of scripture and then from there I just ask questions and then they'll ask me a question back and I'll say, oh, okay, cool, Google it. Or, okay, well, why did you even ask that question? Or, you know, if you were to try to answer that for yourself, what would you say? And for me, it's a lot of trying to get the youth to form faith on their own and not hand it to them. I was lucky enough to have a father, and I think I've said this before, a father who allowed me to do that. He allowed me to ask questions, and he also didn't force feed me a lot of this is it that's not it and and so that's that's what I like to give or what I try to give to kids in the youth group because I think it's important for them to know that they can ask questions and I'll say respectfully okay we're gonna keep things respectful and cordial and um, but it's also important that they find out a lot of this for themselves. Now, if they want to have, they want, they want to take some one-on-one time, ask me questions and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I will gladly dive deep into different subjects with kids, but um, I want the, I, I, I think it's, it's. I don't think I'm. I know it's important for them to find their own faith because you're going to be, you're going to hold on to that more. You're going to stick to it more if you're the one that put it together. You know, it's like taking pride in something that you've built, you know, rather than someone else, you know, just going and buying it. There's difference there. Well, I think there's there's two parts of that. One part is, like you said, if you're asking them questions and not just feeding them answers, Mm -hmm. that has them take a certain ownership of, of what they're putting together, what they're synthesizing. But I also think as a teacher, it puts you in a certain framework. Because there is a, or it, it puts you in a context for them because you're sort of turning over some power to yeah, them, absolutely. some authority to them to say, what do you think? Because if their, if their opinion didn't matter, or right. if you weren't willing to hear it, you wouldn't even open up the floor. Fair. And I, I've had college professors, law school professors, which they were happy to just come into the room and hear themselves talk for the entire time. They yeah. weren't looking for questions. They weren't looking for comments. They were just looking to be done with the class and go work on their next book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just by virtue of the fact that that you're entertaining questions and comments, it's sort of like you're opening yourself up to them. And I think that's maybe a lot of what Jesus was doing. So I don't, I didn't want to get us off track with that, but I do think it's important to note that what Jesus is doing as a teacher, as a rabbi, Mm -hmm. I mean, they they called him rabbi. So he's a, he's a teacher. Um, One of the things he's doing, he's probably doing a lot of things, but one of the things he's doing is he's developing this relationship and, and interactions just like you're doing with the people that you're te- with the youth that you're teaching, mm-hmm. where 
they have a space where they can respond to these questions. They can bounce back with answers. Sometimes they have good answers. Sometimes they have bad answers. Fair. Sometimes Jesus is you know, responding to answers with more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think maybe as we dive into how Jesus is looking at Scripture, the Scripture that had already existed, the right. law that already existed, if we keep that in mind, it might be helpful mm-hmm. to understand just how Jesus is approaching things. Because what Jesus could have done is he could have just said, hey, you know, I've got encyclopedic knowledge of the scripture. What are your questions? Hit me with your questions and I will then give you the answers Right. because I have it all memorized. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he could, he could have done, it could have been like Jeopardy. Yeah. But in Jeopardy, what is that? They, they, they give you the answer and they ask for the question. Right. So it's the opposite. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's an, I think that's, that's key to understand and know that Jesus could have totally just been the guy that's like, I know everything here is what you need to know completely. And he could have worded it that way. He could have said, hey, listen to me. I know more than you. Um, he could have said, all right, you're, you're like you said, he, he, he could have been like, all right, you have a question. Let me answer it. Oh, you have another question. I'm going to answer that one. And he could have gone and on and on and on. But I I love the way that you said he, he gave them, you know, a, some sense of power, some sense of ownership. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to be able to see that that's how Jesus went. I mean, because I don't know, that's a, that's a relational kind of thing. Well, in getting, getting to the law, it's not as if Jesus was like, Hey, haven't you read Deuteronomy? Like there's an answer to all this too. Right. Like that. He doesn't, he doesn't do this. Like, haven't you read the old Testament? Yeah. I mean, in fact, most of his, um, I guess his strongest arguments, if you want to call it that, or, or his most uh, intense interactions are with the people who really did have the old Testament memorized. Yeah. Right. Um, I was wondering, I know you want to get to Sermon on the Mount and I definitely want to talk, you know, particularly about uh, murder and adultery, because I think those are two, they're like really clear that are, you know, Old Testament and the law and New Testament. But I was wondering if we could start uh, with one. Uh, we had, we had a class that uh, we were talking about right before the podcast where we looked at Deuteronomy chapter five. Yeah. And um, there, there's a, there's a, a part in Deuteronomy chapter five uh, that, that says um, it's it's actually Deuteronomy chapter five is actually the Ten Commandments. Yeah, and so uh, the second commandment is talking about not making for yourself an image in the form of any, anything in heaven above or on earth below. It's Genesis five eight through ten, um, and then you know this is God. I guess saying passing the Ten Commandments down to Moses. Don't bow down to them or worship them. And then and then God describes God this way in these words. Uh, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So within sort of the Jewish consciousness, right from the beginning of these Ten Commandments, like commandment number two is this idea, um, among other ideas that are tucked in there, is that children get punished for the sins of the parents. In fact, it can go to multiple generations. Right. So um, in, in the New Testament, we have this example in John chapter 9 where uh, you know Jesus with his disciples, and again, he, he's fostered this sort of question, uh, this relationship where they can ask him questions and he responds to questions, yeah. right? And he asks them questions. So in John chapter 9, right at the beginning, it, it says, you know, Jesus was going along. He saw a man who was blind from birth. 
And then his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? In other words, what caused him to be born blind? Right. Was it him sinning or was his parents? Because these Jews, the disciples, they were they were good Jews. They understood. They knew Deuteronomy, and they're like, okay. They're like, well, God certainly punishes sin, but God also punishes children for the sins of the parents. So which of those things is going on right there? They're just sort of curious. But Jesus answers and said, it wasn't because of this man or his parents sinning. Mm -hmm. And then goes on to say, you know, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. Okay. So I... I, that to me, that scene, let me ask you, like, what do you, what do you see Jesus doing there sort of with the law? Is he, is he sidestepping the law? Is he, um, is he overruling it? Is he, I mean, he's certainly aware of it, right? Like he knows why the disciples think this because Mm -hmm. it's in the old Testament. Right. So, I guess I'm wondering how you see that. Like, how what what does it look like he's doing there to you with the law? I think that the idea here is that being blind is a punishment from God, maybe, and um, and Jesus is like, well, uh, the blindness isn't a punishment, and and I guess maybe if he could have gone into more detail, he could have said something along the lines of. Uh, sometimes people are just born blind and it happens and it's not a punishment. Um, but this gives an opportunity because he goes, you know, it was able for, you know, the works of God could be displayed in him. Right. And he ends up healing him. Yeah. Sort he, of the yeah right. To the he story. like spits he in the mud. It's kind of gross, but like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, the, the idea is that, you know, obviously Jesus says it's not about sin. It's, it's about God being powerful. Um, and, and so I, I don't know. I, I can see where the idea, I I totally see where the, the disciples are coming from in thinking that it's a punishment. And I can see that, you know, you know, it could be looked at like Jesus is, is sidestepping the law or saying, you know, Hey, it's not like this. It doesn't have to be like this. That's not how it works. Um, Maybe I can also see that uh, I can see it viewed as like a, and I'm not trying to be political here. I'm not trying to just give all these different options, but like I'm trying to maybe work it out in my head. I, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think that it could also be viewed as, you know, this was kind of like a, this, this happens. This is natural. Like this is a thing where it's unfortunate and it's an incident, but that doesn't mean that this unfortunate incident, you know, is from anything that's happened in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that it, it's interesting, but I mean, this is the same, I, I think this sort of mentality, mm-hmm. um, the, the mentality that if somebody has something wrong with them or, or they're in a bad circumstance yeah. that it's like, oh, okay, well, who screwed up? Was it right. them or their parents? I mean, yeah. that's a, <laughs> that's a fairly modern 
well, idea. You know what I mean? That, yeah. That's that's something that we might still, th- if not say, yeah. think that about somebody like, oh, okay, well, who was the screw up here? Mm-hmm. Was it them or are they just sort of falling in line with, with how their parents well, live? It's because I think that we have this weird idea as to how we are affected by sin or how we are affected by the good things that we do. Like it's this like one-to-one ratio. Yes, and- yes. But maybe we have that because of the law. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because of the scripture. I mean, I guess that that's my sort of big point. That was my uh, hopefully aha point here is that yeah. the disciples have it legitimate scriptural reasons for for saying yeah or, or for thinking that this is a result oh, for sure. of, of sin because we yeah. have it does seem like a one to one ratio if you go back and, and you read through Deuteronomy it's like you do good things guess what you're gonna be blessed and not just you it's gonna be for thousands of generations God's gonna look out for you God it doesn't say anything about God making you blind but right. we do have but if not you're gonna be cursed and and these kind of things are gonna happen sickness disease blindness, mm-hmm. illness, death. I mean, yeah. there's some really horrible things. We talked about them in last season and, yeah. you know, in the divine violence podcast last season. I love being last season. Oh. Exactly. But so to me, th- this is just an example. At least th- this is how I read it or interpret it. It's Jesus saying something like, you know, you all have an incomplete view of this situation. So I like what you said. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a this is something that happens. It's not like Jesus explains the reason why. And and I mm-hmm. I I'm also wary of this explanation that, oh, why did it happen? For God to be glorified. So it's like Okay, well, so what? Why, why did why did you miscarry that child? Well, for God to be glorified. I mean, right. charging and you can almost do the same thing as they were doing with the law with Jesus's statement, and and that's kind of my point is that I think hopefully Jesus is teaching us a different way to look at, read, and process Scripture, mm-hmm. and interpret Scripture and interpret the law. So I, I don't know that Jesus is necessarily laying a new law down here to say, right. yeah, well, yeah. anytime you see something bad, some bad life circumstance, it's there for the glory of God. I don't actually view it that way. I know some people might view it that way. Mm-hmm. I actually look at it maybe in our language to be like, you know what? God can work even through that circumstance. Yeah. Like God, God is not somehow out of that person's life mm-hmm. because they're in that situation. In fact, God is very much in that person's life. And guess what? They're not cursed. Right. You know, this isn't divine, you know, judgment on them or their parents or that's not how things work. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what I see Jesus saying in my own words there. Yeah. But, but you know, I think arguably it does. I'm just being honest here. Arguably, I think that does cut against what we have in Deuteronomy chapter five. Yeah, and we're going to get to some other you know sections that maybe do some of that too. Yeah, and you know, I think I have a kind of a personal example of that, and I'm, it doesn't take very long. But um, no, no, please stretch it out as long I, as long as possible. <laughs> I was fired from a job, um, in in my opinion, unjustly, but. I'm assuming most people that get fired think that they're fired unjustly. Um, and uh, in that, in me being fired allowed me to go to camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to be able to go that year because of where I lived and, and the circumstances and being able to, you know, and what I had to do with my job there, I wasn't going to be able to go to camp. Well, getting fired allowed me to go to camp. And that year is where I met my wife. Oh, 
And I'm not saying, and this is a positive thing. This right? is a positive thing, right? right? I'm not sitting here saying. I know I was I was being. Oh so no, no, absolutely. Was, <laughs> but like, I think some people will be like, "Oh, so God got you fired?" No, I no. don't think God got me fired. I think God, you know, was always there. What works through even that, right? Yeah, what works through he, even that. He has the ability to be there. All yeah, he was there through all of it, and was like, "Hey, that's a situation that sucks," but at some point there will be better situations. Yeah. And it's not necessarily always because of that situation, but know that from, you know, obviously if that didn't happen, that might not have happened or it could have happened yeah. or however yeah, yeah, yeah. it works. But I think that, yeah. that that's a good way to also look at it. I love yeah. the way that you said that. And so, um, and, and, and sometimes, I mean, those things have happened to me in my life where I'm convinced that something that may have been super unpleasant actually prepared me for the future yeah, so that something even more unpleasant didn't happen. So again, I don't know, you know, did, did God orchestrate it? Did God make it happen? Or I, I don't look at it like that. It's more like, I feel like God, hopefully, or the divine worked through that situation yeah. so that I could be prepared later down the road. Um, all right, so that's first, first, that was the second commandment. Here's another commandment. That one of the other commandments, and this one we get right from the beginning of Genesis. We always have to go back to Genesis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, but this one you know, comes early in the creation, but also shows back up in, in Deuteronomy in the Ten Commandments, and that is the Sabbath command. Yeah. And the Sabbath was a, a big deal mm-hmm. for, for this people. It made these people distinct from the people around them. The idea of uh, you know that that day being a holy day set apart, yeah. um, a day not to do work, and you know the the Jews came up with a whole list of things that you shouldn't do on that day, mm-hmm. um, and so that you know was one of the Ten Commandments, a sort of written stone. Yeah, and there's this scene in Mark chapter two where Jesus is going through the fields on the Sabbath, like. Half the stuff Jesus that's written about Jesus happens on the Sabbath. He does yeah. a lot of stuff on the yeah. Sabbath. Yep. And as he is, his disciples were walking along. They started to pick some heads of grain, and that was one of the sort of interpretive things. Remember how I said like you couldn't do work? I, I guess you know picking the heads of grain to eat them. I don't know. Heads of grain doesn't sound too good, but they must have been pretty hungry. Mm-hmm. So they were picking the heads of grain as they walked, and so these these teachers of the law. Um, the lawyers, the Pharisees, they say directly to Jesus, like, look, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is unlawful on the Sabbath. So you are breaking the law. You're breaking the, the laws of the Old Testament. For them, one, the Old Testament, just you're breaking the, uh, the Torah. And he then Jesus answers them, and here's what he says. He says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered into the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave them gave some to his companions, gave some bread to his companions. Then he said to them, uh, being to the Pharisees, he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I, I, sim- similar question on this one. What do you see Jesus doing here with, we've got this law of the Sabbath, yeah, um, that it should be treated differently, and Jesus seems to be potentially violating at least their interpretation of what that should mean to make the Sabbath holy. Yeah. But in, in being confronted, he then like, he then like refers back to this old Testament 
example, kind of yeah. this, like you said, does he know the scripture? He does know the scripture. Yeah. He's citing back to some obscure passage mm-hmm. about David and his companions. But this right. before David was king, yeah. but after he was anointed. Yeah, I, I think that um, what I like about Jesus is that I'm not saying that like, well, he was all, I don't know. He seemingly just always prepared somehow to be able to say or ask the right thing. And I mean, that's, he was Jesus. So that's right. fair. But what I, what I like about that, he's like, all right, Hey, you remember, you remember, do you remember this? Why don't take a moment? Why don't you remember this real quick? And first off, it's David. Um, David's pretty cool dude. People thought David was a pretty cool guy. Yeah, he's like the the, the ultimate king of right. Israel's history. It yeah. wasn't Saul, mm-hmm. and it wasn't Solomon. Yeah. It was David. Yeah, and so, you know, bringing up David, people are going to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to, we're going to listen maybe a little bit more intently real quick. Right, right. And, and so he goes, all right, you want to call me out? Call David out. And, and, and I'm not saying that's what Jesus was doing. But they would, I would say... No, he's invoking like like one of the most uh, well-thought-of figures from the yeah, past. Yeah. Somebody who would be sort of with uh, above reproach. Right. Yeah, and, and so he's like, all right, call him out. Go ahead. I'd love to hear it, please. And obviously, he didn't say those things, but... No, I no, know. I think I, that's the that's the instinct here. It's like, it's like, well, have you haven't you read? And of course, you know that's a, kind of a slam on these guys because, yeah. like I said, these guys, Jesus is sort of like the the amateur to them, mm-hmm. and they're like the professionals. Yeah, and so it, it's like you know he 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 hasn't been classically trained like they have, mm-hmm. and he's reminding them of a story that basically demonstrates that there was a situation where David did what was not permitted in the law. Right. And so then Jesus then sort of leverages on that precedent. You said, you know, to think about it in, in legal terms, it's almost like he's invoking some old Supreme court case that ruled in his favor and then says, but then this is the, I think just like sort of the mind blowing part. He's like, by the way, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And which I see is just like, I could like see their brains exploding yeah, when he says that. Absolutely. Because this is so Jesus. It's sort of like in Sermon on the Mount, you know, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's like this almost has this Buddhist quality to it where you're sitting there spinning around like, what does that even mean? Right. But it seems like what he's saying is that you guys are totally elevate you're losing you're losing the plot you're losing the whole purpose of the sabbath yeah like like almost like use your common sense mm-hmm. the sabbath is actually something that's supposed to be helpful for you yeah the, like m- men or humankind came first the sabbath came second yep so if the sabbath is going to be something where my people are sitting here they're hungry they need to eat just like David's com- compatriots were hungry, they needed to eat, and you're going to use the Sabbath to say like, well, guess what? People can't eat. Right. Because it's a Sabbath. Keep it holy. Yeah. Like, that's not how things work. Yeah. So it, it's almost like, to me, I mean, we'll, like, again, I said, we'll, we'll get to these Sermon on the Mount passages where arguably it's almost like Jesus turns up the dials on the law. Yeah. But there are passages like this where it's like Jesus is like, wait, no, you've totally missed 
the point of the law to begin with. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because you've totally missed it, all your applications are bogus. Yeah. And, and man, that's why Jesus is so cool. I, because not because I think I don't I don't know. It seems like you used the words. You took the words of my mouth. I was gonna say common sense. He was just he he made sense. He used common sense and he told people to do it too. And they they were like, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like you they it's probably like really want to argue and then they realize that everything that they have to argue with is just well. It's like he gives these examples about you know uh, if you're if your donkey gets caught in a ditch on the Sabbath, you're just going to let it die. Yeah. But then, you know, he, because they were, they would get on his case for healing people on the Sabbath. They're like, you can't do that because that's work. Healing is work. Yeah. And it's like, really? Come on. Come <laughs> like, on. So what, wait until sundown to heal, yeah. to heal this person. Um, no, but I think you're right. I, common sense maybe is, uh, I use that phrase, but it's just like, our common experience, we know that certain things are just wrong. It's wrong for somebody to starve. Right. Yeah. Right. Even if there's maybe some sort of religious justification for it. All right. One more, one more Roman. All right. Bear with me for this last one. Okay. Here's another one that clearly, I mean, it's very clear in, in Deuteronomy. I love that we keep going back to Deuteronomy tonight. It's the, about um, adultery, and it essentially is like you know, if if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, the woman who slept with her and the woman, the man who slept with her and the woman must die. They be stoned. You must purge the evil from Israel. Very clear, black and white. Okay. Right. Yep. So then, e- even with that sort of black and white um, law, scripture mm-hmm. in John chapter eight we have a situation where a woman is caught in the act of adultery. And there doesn't seem to be any question that that was the case. I mean, they, right. they, they never, I mean, now they, they clearly, they don't bring the man. They just bring the woman. So if she was caught in the act. There had to be a man there, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, the man wasn't brought up. So the teachers of the law, these same people, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they bring this woman right in front of Jesus and, and they say, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? What do you say? And, you know, parenthetically, the scripture tells us that they were, they're trying to trap Jesus. Yeah. Like they were trying to basically, I, I think, I mean, this is my, my interpretation is that they knew it was probably unlikely <laughs> that Jesus was going to advocate stoning this woman. I think by virtue of they saw him going around, how he was interacting with people, the people who he spent time with, the people who he was eating with, the people who were his disciples, the people he was healing, they probably thought, eh, is Jesus going to stone this woman to death or advocate it? Probably not. So it said they were looking for that as a reason to trap him. And so Jesus does this crazy thing where he kind of like draws in the dirt with his finger. And then he says... Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped back down to the ground and he starts, you know, drawing around with his finger again, just sort of, I don't know, passing the time. And we met, we mentioned this story before, Roman, on an earlier episode, but that was where, you know, the, the people began to go away, the older ones first, um, um, until only Jesus was left. And then Jesus said, woman, you know, wh- where are your accusers? Has nobody condemned you? No one, sir, she said. He goes, then neither do I condemn you. 
Now go and leave your life of sin. Yeah. Okay. So here we've got one where we've got a clear sort of sin. We talked about sin for the last couple of weeks. We've got a clear sin defined in Deuteronomy and we have a clear punishment that is supposed to flow from that sin. It says, purge the evil from among you. Stone these people, both of them. But in this case, we have a woman, no suggestion that she wasn't, you know, guilty. Yeah. Um, so what do you see Jesus is doing here? How do you see him interpreting that law or applying that law? I think that, and you know, this is me just giving an opinion, that um, Jesus is almost alluding to, without alluding to, uh, freedom in Christ. And obviously that isn't, hasn't been talked about yet at this point, but it's, it's the idea that, um, it's not our job to condemn people. So Jesus is sort of, um, if I'm getting sort of the theological framework, correct, you feel like Jesus is almost jumping to a, a, a new Testament, like post resurrection understanding of grace and forgiveness, etc. So even though we're still maybe technically under the law, Jesus has the ability as the son of God to kind of press fast forward or do, you know, like on, on TV shows, do like the time skip. Yeah. And then we'll go back and watch the rest. Right. I mean, that kind of thing. It kind of, it kind of feels that way. Um, I mean, or at least that's given the, what you believe and how you understand how your theology works. That is a way to explain it. Is that, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, because that's the way that, you know, we live life now. Right. Um, exactly. Like we wouldn't, we would not. I mean, if, if in church on Sunday, a woman or man was dragged in front of the church, yeah, found to be committed adultery and anyone advocated for their stoning, that'd be a problem. Well, I mean, because this is the scripture people would go to. Right. They right. would use this as the example. Right. But if they, I, I guess if they use the, the Deuteronomy passage to advocate, we'd say, well, no, no, we're not under that. We don't, right. we don't do that anymore. And look, here's an example of where Jesus didn't do that. So, uh, so you think that Jesus is sort of giving us a glimpse into freedom and forgiveness. Now she hadn't asked for forgiveness. She hadn't repented. She hadn't done any of those steps. She hadn't given her life over to Christ, or maybe that doesn't happen yet. Or she doesn't appear to have done anything except for be curled up in a ball right. in front of him. Um, you know, he does, he, he just says, I, I don't condemn you. Right. Which, which harkens back. I mean, that's like John three seventeen, right? For God didn't send his son into the world oh, to condemn yeah. the world. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, it, and I, you so know, maybe that just wasn't Jesus's role. No, I don't, that, I don't, I don't think that was his role. I mean, he does say, he does go on to say, no, I don't condemn you, but like, stop. You know, yeah, yeah. Leave, go, 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 leave na- your life go now sin. and leave your life of sin. And, and I think that sometimes that's where, you know, people get confused with what I think I'm going to say, this is going to be in quotes, and this is probably kind of dangerous. Good church people get a bad rep from bad church people because I think the quote, good church people are like, I'm not trying to condemn you, but like, because of my beliefs and what I you know, the way that I view scripture, it's not that I don't love you. It's not that I don't have a relationship with you. I just really don't think that what you're doing 
is is right. I think it's sinful. And right. for me, sin leads somewhere where I don't want you to be. Right. And that's where that's where I think the quote good church people is at, but they get the the bad rep because the quote bad church people are like, You suck, you're a horrible human being because of your actions. Yeah. You don't have an option for anything other than condemnation. Hell is where you're gonna end up and that's it. Yeah, and I think there's probably, you know, other options besides just falling into one of those two categories too. I I mean, my my experience has been that calling out people's behavior as sinful is not usually particularly helpful. Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe if, if you have experience where that has been helpful and people have, I, I'm not saying that there might not be a situation right? Um, where, you know, you could help somebody realize that, Hey, you know, I think, um, like something relationally where like, Hey, I, you might not realize it, but I think you might've hurt such and such as feelings. Like I was there. I, I felt like you might not have seen it, but I saw, mm-hmm. you know, after you left, they were, they were pretty shook up by that or something relationally. But when it's something where somebody has sort of made a life decision, um, I mean, we were talking about this la- last time uh, about, uh, li- living together for marriage. Oh, right. Remember? Yeah. We spent the last like 30% of the podcast on that yeah. on that topic. Um, but if it's something, let's say like that, something where somebody's made a life choice and you just sort of, I think a lot of parents do this to their children, I think. Just like, I just want you and, you know, your, your father and I want you to know that we consider your lifestyle sinful. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wonder if that's ever worked. I mean, sinful is a church word, absolutely. 100%. Right, no right. No one is... I mean, probably right now. I, I do think that there, you know, there could be times where let's where you know maybe you're doing something that's completely destructive. Like let's say you've got a a gambling habit and all of your money goes away and you're right. and you can't afford to live. Yeah, <laughs> it's like hey, this whole gambling thing is tearing apart your life. Yeah, right. As opposed to hey, this thing I'm labeling this thing as as sinful. I, I just, I, I just wonder. Um, I, I'm just not sure exactly how helpful that is. I do think that, I do think that Jesus, for whatever reason, when he is dealing with some of these uh, laws in the Old Testament, he has like no issue with not enforcing them. He has like no issue. And I think there's two ways to look at that. One, you could just be like, well, he's the Son of God. So he can decide not to enforce those things. But like you said, we're also not enforcing the stoning rules or the wearing mixed fibers from uh, or, or eating um, shellfish or things like that, not eating shellfish, things like that. So Jesus does seem to have a comfort with that. So like I said, that's either because he's Jesus or maybe this is more of an example. Like maybe there's there's an example here. So let I, I've kept kept teasing it. Why don't you do you want to walk us through those couple of uh, places in in the Sermon on the Mount? Like maybe just talk about we could talk about murder and and anger and talk about since we talk about adultery, we could start with that one. Talk about adultery and lust. We could or we could save it for next week. We're are at, we getting where are we at? We're at forty three minutes. Holy smokes! Yeah. Man. So I mean, I have no problem. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's yeah. go to next. Let's go to let's let's talk about the Sermon on the Mount because I think 
you know, there's a real difference here. And I think there's two things happening at the same time. It's like, like I said, Jesus seems to have, there seems to be this lightness associated with the law mm-hmm. where he's like, no, it does. You, you said that. Well, yeah, I understand it looks pretty black and white. doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Or, oh yeah, I understand that's one of the 10 commandments. You know what? David broke them. I'm here with my, my people. Don't, don't worry about it. Guess what? Sabbath is for man. You know, not man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Um, and then you have, you know, oh, wait, stone, stone, somebody commit adultery. Actually, no. Actually, if any of you are without sin, you can throw the first stone. So Jesus has this lightness when dealing with the law. But then, as we'll talk about next week, I guess, he also, there's this whole other thing that he does in the Sermon on the Mount where you were just talking about in the beginning, where he's like, Hey, you've heard that it says this, but guess what? I'm going to turn the dials all the way up. You think you think you don't murder somebody and you're doing okay. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm telling you it's 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 much different than that. It goes it goes much deeper than that. It's not yeah. just about keeping from murdering and it's not just about keeping from committing adultery. Yeah. Uh, I I I think that's true, and I think that's why we just wait till next week because I think we can really dive deep into that, um, and and really um, also get into the greatest commandment, which I think needs to be talked about a little bit too because there's some spiciness in there that I think is fantastic. Yeah, and that's um, that's a great one because it's it's a carryover from Old Testament to New, mm-hmm. and that's something interesting that Jesus does is that there are some things that clearly carry over. I mean, they they just sing right through from Old Testament to New Testament. Um, which gives us a, I think, another good taste of what Jesus is doing with the law. Yeah, yeah, it's like he's almost like he's trying to bring it together to where it makes the most sense. Yeah, certainly emphasizing certain areas, and then certain areas seem to be falling away. Like I said, we're not expecting people to get dragged in on yeah. Sunday. Yeah, right. No, I mean, if it, if that happens, you'll hear about it in the next podcast. Say, oh, I don't- probably calling the police so <laughs> but yeah hey all right so hey thank you guys so much uh for sticking with us this week uh we're just going to continue this next week we're going to get more into the sermon on the mount uh more into the uh the greatest commandment and um more into jesus and maybe potentially why he did some of this or why he said some of these things so thank you guys so much and we look forward to uh being with you next week